0: next day the boy does it again and the next two and on the fourth day a wolf really comes the boy cries out at the top of his lungs but the villagers ignore him and the boy and his flock are gobbled up well that's a little
1: graphic for children wouldn't you say but the point is if you
0: lie all the time nobody's going to believe you even when you're telling the truth are you sure that's the point doctor Of course. What else could it be?
1: That you should never tell the same lie twice.
0: Well hello and welcome to Tarek Noir. My name is Joe and I'm here with my brother Matthew and we're here every week to recap Star Trek Deep Space Nine. If you'd like to meet us on the promenade then be sure to follow at Tarek Noir on Twitter to see our latest polls, memes, and other ridiculous tweets. Today we are talking about Season 3, Episode 20, Improbable Cause, and... Episode 21, the die cast. The story for improbable causes by Robert Letterman and David R. Long. The teleplay was written by Renee Echevarria and it was directed by Avery Brooks. The die cast was written by Ronald D. Moore, and it was directed by David Livingston. So, Matthew, what were you hoping to gain by blowing up your own tailor shop?
1: Insurance money. <laughs> also, also a couple days off. Damn.
0: I mean, you're not wrong. Like the like okay, so We've talked about this before, but I am very, very curious about, you know, if you're in the Federation, you don't have to worry about money. And presumably, if you don't have to worry about money, you can, like, take time off. Like, if you're a shop owner on Earth or another Federation core planet and you're, like, mm, not really feeling it today, you can take the day off and, like, you don't really have to worry about it because, hypothetically, like, you don't have to worry about, you know, quote-unquote lost revenue. You don't have to worry about... um you know customers not frequenting your shop anymore because they'll understand because like you know we live in a utopian society or whatever but on the station it's not a federation station technically and so like the whole you know we got rid of money thing doesn't apply so like basically all i'd say is like how much money is garrick making Like I don't think that he's living large, and so on the one hand, I'm sure he enjoys taking a couple days off, but on the other hand, given what we already know from this episode that he's fucked up, uh, misplaced some clothing items, like what is this going to do for his financial situation?
1: We know that he doesn't like the tailoring thing. Also, but he is a
0: good tailor, as he says at the end of the second episode. Yeah,
1: unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, the good tailor um a tailor shop in the 24th century where people are replicating clothes we've already spoken about is extremely extr- extraneous it's yeah. like when you see like someone asked uh someone's like oh is he the cobbler the the Romulan just another like 18th century ass job and oh is he the
0: blacksmith
1: all- <laughs> right like you do occasionally see like oh look it's um, there is a cobbler. There is like right. a fax repair. There is a well, whatever, and you're like these are all fronts, and <laughs> and, it, and it, it's true because Garrick's shop is absolutely a
0: front. I mean, in his case, yes, for a He's lot still of still doing reasons. spy shit back then. Um, okay, but like. Like in the in the at the end of the first episode, Anab and Tane is like, "Is this one of your designs?" So the implication is that Garrick is not just a tailor, but he is a fashionista. Like he is no, like a fashion no. designer. That was, uh, that, was sure, is. that was for sure. That uh, was for sure. Tane just talking some shit, right? But in the world where you can just replicate shit, the thing that you couldn't replicate is someone's own individual fashion designs. So you, think, you that, think
1: Garrick is like an Etsy master?
0: But he might be. He might be the prototype Etsy master. Like he I, had, he had figured he had cornered the market in the 24th century. On ugly clothes before we figured out figured it out in the 20th and 21st century. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. No, uh, a tailor shop is a front. Here's here's all I I need to know. Like, is he doing one-hour alterations? Like how? you know like if i if i've got something going and i go to him can he help me out in a pinch he seems like he
0: wants to take his time he does seem like he wants to take his time i mean we are there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot that this episode sets up regarding season 4 and particularly the season 4 opening episode the thing that i w- i'm surprised that i'm able to i'm not surprised that i'm able to make this connection but i am but uh, there is a scene where a character does call Garrick in to uh, to take measurements, um, yes. and you know maybe he and he he shows up super quickly. So if he shows up that quickly just to take measurements, then maybe maybe he can do a one hour turnaround.
1: All I know is that um, two years ago, every podcast I was listening to was advertising like a like suit products where or clothing products mm-hmm. where you just like scan yourself with your phone. And then they send you like t- tailored clothing, and
0: they do what Garrick does, literally.
1: Except Garrick's walking in with the fucking like string shit, like uh, like in the Phantom Thread. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not oh, you know. Okay, here's the thing: the like the random shit that we say on this podcast, like the random different connections that we make between two different wildly uh, disparate properties. If either you or I were good at graphic design, like we could turn around uh you know, a, a an image or a meme of the, of of, as, uh, Garrick, as Garrick, thread or whatever. Garrick, Garrick Day Lewis. Yeah, it's actually we could do that, but you would that's not what you, we 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 can't though. Hypothetically, like in another, in another another universe, the different versions of Matthew and Joe could do that, but that's not this version.
1: One would have to care and be motivated
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i mean considering how how challenging it is for me to keep up with doing social media shit uh on twitter already uh i'm not i'm not i'm not doing those kinds of memes i'm sorry i'm just not uh but like shout out to all those podcasters that that do that's just not us yeah if Uh, i was
1: 28 or something you know you'd see me you y'all, see me on PowerPoint or whatever they're doing.
0: Y'all do not listen. On PowerPoint, to guess, Photoshop, or yeah, PowerPoint. How old? Photoshop. Are you? So, I don't know
1: some sort of Adobe
0: properties. Anyways, what we do, uh, I think that what we excel in in uh, on our podcast is not bullshit. so much uh, the bullshit um, referencing our own childhoods and uh, and talking like just you know talking about Cisco having sex with his coworkers. I think that that is you know really the niche uh the lane that this podcast is able to take and i think that's what people expect from us really thanks this is
1: it's the jedi loophole It's a sexual assault or mis- sexual misconduct where you're like listen it would be it would be unethical given power dynamics to pursue relationships in particular ways here however in another universe it's not. It's not like that. I don't have that power dynamic. I'm coming in here, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm one of,
0: I'm one of uh, Kira's hoes, and I'm just gonna, you know, do my thing. Honestly, to be one of Kira's hoes, like that should have been the name of the podcast, Kira's Hoes. Like, I would love to be one of Kira's hoes. I'm not gonna lie.
1: Um, <laughs> incidentally, her husband, um, Bashir, can't handle his hoes
0: no uh and that's a great segue into talking about today's episode um we are covering two different episodes this is a rare two-parter that is not that does not have the same name like past tense was part one part two this is two different episodes that have two different names uh reason being is that they had intended and probable cause to just be a single episode And then they got to the end and they were like, well, this script is shit. And uh, (laughs) then they retooled it to be a two-parter. But anyways, let me give... Why uh, aren't there more two-parters? Okay. Uh, I'm going to give a brief synopsis. Well, attempt... The script is
1: shit. Why don't we double it?
0: I mean, you know, I respect it. (laughs) i've done that before um i'm not gonna lie i did the opposite i had a short story that i was working on for uh the workshop i just finished and it wasn't working so i made a shorter version of it, for the short
1: story see, there you go see this you're like uh joe this story doesn't work and you're like more, more? <laughs> so you want more right okay anyways
0: <laughs> um let me give a, a synopsis for these two episodes following a lovely lunch between garrick and Bashir, where garrick completely shot on shakespeare uh, as is his is right Garrick narrowly escapes an assassination be the same <laughs> Garrick narrowly assassinates uh narrowly escapes an assassinate assassination attempt I you know I write these synopses uh I really should not do a tongue twister in the uh, in the in the first fucking sentence of the synopsis anyways <clears throat> Garrick narrowly escapes an assassination attempt when a bomb explodes in his shop Odo begins an begins an investigation oh no <laughs> Why they're, they're, i just gotta slow this down Their confidence is
1: leaking you can see they're, they're trying to they're trying to just race through it though
0: oh no i am trying to race through it because like it's a lot of text and it's covering two different episodes oh my goodness so oh, are they gonna make it uh, we'll find out uh stay tuned uh <laughs> let me take this a little bit slower <sighs> Odo begins an investigation while suspecting Garrick's past in the Obsidian Order to be coming back to haunt him. He chases down a merchant who ends up being killed by the Romulans. Their involvement complicates the investigation, as does the in- information Odo gets from a Cardassian informant that Garrick was not the only former Obsidian Order uh, operative to be targeted for murder, though he was the only one who survived. Garak believes that his former mentor and former head of the Obsidian Order, Anabran Tain, could be in danger and he and Odo set out to locate him. They are stopped, however, by Romulan Warbird and, to their surprise, find Anabran Tain on board, who is leading a covert task force of Obsidian Order and Talshiar ships to destroy the Founders, which would eliminate the Dominion threat. Odo is taken prisoner and Garak is offered a place at Tain's side, which he quickly assumes. The joint task force make their way to the Gamma Quadrant. This move, plus an intercepted communique from Kane to Cardassia, brings Cisco and the rest of the crew up to speed on their plans. Starfleet orders Cisco to remain at DS Nine, but Cisco, being Cisco, says "fuck it" and goes rogue, taking the Defiant into the Gamma Quadrant. Leroy Jenkins, (laughs) (laughs) motherfucking Eddington, however, under direct orders from Starfleet, sabotages the Defiant, delaying the crew from their rescue attempt. ...of Odo and, hypothetically, Garrick. I
1: sabotage the cloak. Their boots is in my mouth.
0: Sabotage? Odo, however, uh, realizes he needs rescuing from Garrick ...as he tortures Odo for information under orders from Tane. Meanwhile, the task force begins their assault on the Founder's homeworld... ...but find out pretty fucking quickly... ...that they have been lured into a very obvious trap... ...and are quickly overwhelmed by Dominion forces... A Romulan colonel reveals himself to be a founder and allows Odo and Garrick to escape, telling Odo that the founder's plan to remove Romulans and Cardassians as a threat has succeeded, and soon they will be coming for the Klingons and the Federation. And once that is completed, there uh, they will soon be able to just completely take over the Alpha and Beta quadrants, as is their want to do. Uh, okay, so that was the lengthy <laughs> setup for uh, for that episode. Matthew what works for you uh between these two different episodes there was a lot uh to choose from and i'm curious if i gave you enough time to look up what you needed to look up to remind yourself you, of what works for you you
1: did but i was going to i was going to filibuster myself
0: and ask you how you're doing you okay uh you know what well here okay here's the thing um i I like In the middle of that, I took a sip of water, but then I realized that um, the stickers on my water bottle are all fucked up, likely from my trip to the beach yesterday, which upsets me. And what upsets me more is that the two stickers that are uh, fucked up on my bottle are the Enterprise-D and the Defiant. And so now I'm just going to have to replace these fucking stickers, I guess. Um, And yeah, I'm just kind of upset about that. Um, So I'm more upset about that than having to... Uh speak. speak. Try to... Yeah, exactly.
1: All right. Um, what I liked was uh the dual performance of Avery Brooks as director and Andrew J. Robinson as actor. I thought that they did a really good job of keeping you on your toes in terms of like, okay, who, who's side is who who's Garrick playing right now? Is he playing anybody like He's playing everybody. Does he even know like what exactly is going on? Like they film it in a way that all like you think you're sure of what's going on, but there's always like 10% doubt there. And they, you know, they set it up with the uh, like, oh, you know, it's, you know, a lie's interest interesting make the truth just whatever he's saying. Like, like, hey, we're just trying to keep things together. And uh, they throwing flack and uh you know fireworks all over the place make you look everywhere else. it's like do you know do you know exactly what happened with Garrick? like can you tell me like this is this is when Garrick was trying to do X
0: you're asking me yeah in terms of
1: like what was Garrick always going to like at what point does Garrick say I'm gonna get back to ds9 with Odo like is that before he tortures him? after he tortures him is it before things go to shit you know or is he like is he was he gonna like go back to Cardassia a conquering hero with his boy Tane like at what point is is what happening
0: yeah so there was a there was something in the uh there was something in the companion I wish that I had it ready uh, so I'm not just like fumbling around here but I, I think that the the gist of it is that Garrick's whole thing is that he and this is like a very loose quote from one of the people in Companion is that he bobs and weaves right like his whole thing is improvising and adapting so right. I think that he saw an opportunity like okay Garrick has a character we'll talk about it like a little bit more at length when we get into uh, some of the larger topics that um come up from this episode but like garrick as a character is someone that who explicitly from day one has been like i am exiled here to ds9 and it fucking sucks like you people are dumb i hate you i want to go back to cardassia that's been his whole thing he understands the circumstances of his exile and he knows that it's unlikely that he'll go back but he still is trying like we've seen him at least once or twice try to make his way back to cardassia um in this, in his, probably in his calculation, is the best chance for him to go back to Cardassia. But, when that obviously is not going to happen, uh, he's like, okay, I'm going to bounce back out of here. Because they said that there were like, what, 20 Talshiar Shiar and uh, Obsidian Order ships, and then all of the Dominion ships come out, and it's 150? Like, there's just no fucking way. Like, Garrick knows that he's not going to survive right. if he's there. So it's like, okay, well, I guess I better go back to DS9. Like, what other, opportun- like, what other alternative is just, there? Even and at, the
1: begin- at the beginning of it, like, when he talks his way in with Tane, and he's like, oh, yeah, no, I set this up to get back with you and do blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't, like, I, I just feel like like you said, like everything that he was saying is bullshit and it was I mean, all like just in the moment, whatever.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, like there's a couple of things that we know about Garrick and like a couple of those things come up here. Right. Like a Garrick, it's like the best lines in, in both episodes. Right. Like the writers yeah. obviously love writing for Garrick. Um, there's one line that he says, well, the truth is usually just an excuse for a lack of imagination. That's what um, I was trying to get to. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, there was another line a few episodes ago where it's like, um, you know, is all that you said, uh, it's that like famous exchange, like especially the lies, like was any right. of it true? Oh, oh yes, dear doctor, all of it was true. Even the lies, especially the lies, right? Like his, we what we know about Garrick is his whole thing is, I am not going to let anyone in on information until I'm ready to let them in. Like he didn't have to confirm that he blew up his own shop, but he only did so because he thought that that might help him uh, work his way back into an Aberdeen's good graces. Right. But he could have kept on lying about that to Odo and Odo didn't have any proof. And Garrick knew that he didn't have any proof so he could get away with it. But there was an opportunity for him to use the truth as an opportunity to, you know, to get ahead. But as often as possible, he's not going to tell the truth, right? Like the exchange where Bashir is like uh, uh, using the example of the the boy who cried wolf, uh, Garrick is like questioning what the moral of that story is. And he's like, uh, well, the, the real moral is that you should never tell the same lie twice. Um, his whole thing is just you know the truth is um is a matter of perspective, right for Garrick, yeah,
1: yeah, no, absolutely and and that's my thing is like the the actor does a really good job of that, but I thought that the way that Avery Brooks directed the episode also did that.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that Avery did a great job with the first episode. Like, I mean, I said, uh, I think I was teasing it last week on the podcast that like these two episodes are two of my favorite DS9 episodes in large part because the complication of Garrick and how we as viewers perceive him moving forward, but also how it has the opportunity to recontextualize what we've seen of him up until this point. Um and of course, that these two episodes are setting the stage for literally everything else that's to come um, in TS Nine, apart from uh, some, you know, some Bajoran religion stuff <laughs> that yeah. happens later on, right? But like these two episodes are are like, like propel us, like literally propel us, because seasons four, five, and six have so much action, have so much. Um, serialized storytelling that these three episodes just propel us forward and I think that you know for me one of the you know the thing that I really really like about this episode is just that that it is setting us up for what's to come and usually you see that in like a season finale right where it's like okay you know we know what's going to come and of course you know back in the day when we had you know, twenty-two episode seasons. So it's like, okay, we know we have the summer, but then once the summer is over, we're getting back into the story, right? But this is coming four or five episodes before the end of the season, so it's like it's really, um, it's showing that kind of intention and it's showing that forward planning.
1: In middle, except for the next episode that comes up. Well, yeah, they and always it, do this. They always do the like, hey, we're we're moving the plot forward we're having this big episode and now um why don't we just build like a wooden
0: spaceship yeah but it does but the next episode does propel the propel the plot forward in regards to cisco's facial hair so that part is very very important
1: it's uh yeah it's a pit stop in the right direction
0: yeah but okay anyways um yeah i mean i think that you know i i as I said, I love these two episodes. I think that Avery Brooks did a great job. I think that Andrew Robinson did a great job. I think that, uh, Renee Auburn did a great job in these two episodes. Like we don't, I don't think that we've seen Odo and Garrick together as much as we have in these two episodes. Usually Quark is Odo's foil, but to have Garrick who is a puzzle that Odo needs to get solved, like, quirk is fairly he's a fairly simple puzzle to solve like there's not much mystery to him because quirk tells you who he is every second of the day right he's just out here cool. trying to get money like we know who quirk is garrick though is constantly is shape-shifting as much as odo does to avoid people knowing who exactly he is oh wow there's a smile on your face and you said that. You're like, I'm talking to you. I saw you, face. Face. <laughs> I, I saw you smiling and you're just like, oh, Joe, okay. And I don't like, oh, think Okay, anyways, fuck off. <laughs>
1: oh, your face. You couldn't, you couldn't even... Fuck a off. Like, Woo! Hey. Fuck off. Should we call it? No, this is the end of the episode. Yeah, do you want to just call it or what? <laughs> No, there was a, a Seinfeld. What there was a Seinfeld where like um, George was in like a, a a board meeting or whatever, like a conference meeting, and he made a joke and everyone laughed and then he like kept talking and everyone was just like ugh, and then right? he was like yeah, if you if you make yeah. the joke like you got to just like that's it. And yeah, so you then, got so to get then, out. <laughs> so then it would be like George would make a joke and it's like. All right. And he grabs all his fit and clothes and yeah. briefcase and just like walks out. It's like the meeting had just started.
0: <laughs> I I honestly, like back in my sales rep days, like I I I did that several times. Where it's just like I I made the customer laugh. And I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm out. Like this is the perfect way to end. Like this is the impression that they have of me, is that I'm gonna make jokey jokes and that they're gonna have happy feelings corresponding with me as a person. So I I do
1: I, that. I do that in my band group text. I'm like, if I drop something and like, I get you know four ha-has on it. Yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm not, gonna, yeah. I'm not sending any more text today. I'm just nope, reading. we're out. Yeah.
0: Okay. Anyways, uh, let's talk about what didn't work for this episode. Um, what's? Let's see. What you know, I, I'm not sure how you feel about it. Like for me, it was very hard to find something that didn't work for me in this episode. I I was able to, but. I'm curious uh, your perspective. What didn't work?
1: Yeah, I think generally speaking, um, this was a good run of episodes. Um, I put down that I thought that the setup took too long. Um, to me, the the most interesting parts of this are the Garrick-Teen relationship and the Garrick-Odo um, interrogation stuff, yeah,
0: for
1: and sure. I felt like the this it took a really long time to get there. And like, I understand that you need to have some stuff on the station, you got to have the main cast involved, and it does something to for the main cast to have to interact with Garrick and like face the like, who the fuck is this guy actually? Like, what's going on? Yeah, like, I, I get that that stuff's there, and so that. This is like maybe a nitpick in this, but but I would have cut out like they, they had like four steps, four or five steps to like get out in the space to tame. And I'm like, maybe make that like two or three. Well, I you mean know, like
0: e- no, Yeah, I mean like even like the first time that Garrick and, and Odo go out to chase after the merchant dude. It's like okay, cool, we're going to space. Oh no, we're coming right back. You know, it's like yeah. that, like a weird kind of start and stop. Like I understand narratively why they did that, but it's like, you know, the way that it feels as a viewer is a little bit like oh 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 no, okay,
1: yeah. And they did like you know, anytime they've got like a fishy type alien, you know, they really like the makeup department like really put work in on that face too. Michael
0: like. Michael Westmore was doing his thing between <laughs> like, the alien dude and between. Yeah. So, like just peeling apart like yes. yeah really really was doing the work yeah good for him uh, yeah.
1: so like I, I get all that but that led to like some of the some of the we've been down this path a million times before oh, no. oh um, you know this was like we're gonna first do some like you did like race science shit like oh this targets people of particular races which like okay that's you know that's kind of weird but then we're gonna also essentialize like (laughs) oh well this race is the ones that use this type of device the most so oh there's one person of that race here like blah 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 and Dax had the temerity to be like um do you have any evidence to back this up? okay 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 okay
0: okay okay let me let's talk about that
1: so I (laughs) she does that but then then the writers are like yeah but he's actually right like, like, every writer's in the in 90s cop thing was yeah. always, like, every once in a while, it would be, like, hey, uh, hey Detective Stabler, like, totally fucking, like, uh, trampled all over this person's civil rights. But he was right, so... He was right,
0: though, so it's totally fine. It
1: was like this. Odo just pulled, like, I need a black. Any black. And he <laughs> just, one and just grabbed a black, and then they're like, um shouldn't you check to make sure that like this is done by like a particular person? He's like, uh, it's a black. I mean, I'm pretty sure. And then they're like, all right, but do you have evidence? He's like, no, but then he's right. It was that black because right. that is what those yeah. blacks do. And like, Northern blacks. <laughs> and I'm just like, like, damn, like, like we, did. we have to have this in here? Not, not in like a, I'm like soft or too sensitive to it, but just like, we've done this a hundred times. This episode's interesting. In other ways, we don't need this yeah. like filler, you know.
0: No, for sure, you're absolutely right. I mean, like first of all, like when she when Dax finally shows up in the in the episode, I'm like, oh my god, where's she been this entire time? Um, and then the like, the real main co- uh, uh, contribution she has is like standing up for needing evidence before you just go off and like you know arrest people. But <laughs> the, like he's just like, nah, it's only a supposition, but it fits the available facts. Uh oh, does it though? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know about that. And it Um, turns
1: out that he didn't actually like do it, you know.
0: Right. Yeah. Anyway, but
1: he was going to try to kill him. So like he was right in the end anyway. Yeah. So like that would be my only thing. It's just the I think that's fair. Let's cut that shit and just get to let's get to the meat. Let's stop filling up on breadsticks, you
0: know? Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely the the second episode uh moved a lot quicker than the first episode. Like they didn't feel like the same length of episodes, even though they were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. my nitpicky thing is that an aberrant felt a little too quote unquote evil villain in this episode. Like he literally monologues his evil plan, you know, which is like on the one hand, it's always fun when it happens. It's classic, like, you know, and it got um satirized in the Incredibles. Uh, movie pretty well. Uh, years ago, but it still is just like, yeah, yeah. We know what's happening here, and it is one of those ways for a, an episode of TV to like get through the exposition <laughs> and just like we need to fill the the viewer in on what's happening. So let's have the evil villain do a monologue.
1: Uh, Altay needed was like a cat to be stroking.
0: Oh, for sure. Um, But that would get cat hair on his beautiful cardigan. And that would be, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, But I think that even though there is that little bit of nitpicky, still the relationship that Garrick has um, with an Abern'tane that is like really, really explored in that scene. And then also in a later scene where, uh, you know, Garrick is like scheming about who he's going to kill once he gets back to Cardassia. Um, those are just two aspects of these two episodes that really, really set up um, the viewer to have a sh- potentially have a shift in their perception of Garrick. And like Garrick is not a main cast member, right? But he is a beloved character, and he shows up as a like as a guest actor in I think the most episodes on DS9. Um, I think he shows up more often than Dukat. He shows up more often than Rom. Like he is. Ever present, and we know, you know, we I, I have my feelings and my shipping of Bashir and Garrick, and so he plays a very crucial role. But what our understanding of Garrick as a character has been for the past three and a half seasons is that he is uh an a Cardassian that is exiled from Cardassia, he likely has a very, very shady past. Like the characters kind of know that he was in the obsidian order, but they don't know for sure for sure. Um, and until these two episodes, which are like, well, if you didn't know now, you know now you do. Um, but and of course, us as the viewers have known that he's, you know, a secret agent this entire time. But there's something about Garrick and the portrayal by Andrew Robinson that allows us as a viewer to be like, eh, he's not completely terrible, even though he was a he was a SS officer for the Nazis. He's not completely terrible. Like we we have this. Um, we, we've we given Garrick like a certain amount of leeway over the course of three and a half seasons to be like eh, he's, he's still kind of fun and he does the good thing every now and then until we get to these two episodes where we literally see him torture and abuse Odo and these two episodes are challenging the viewer to reconceptualize how we feel about this particular character
1: yeah, I. Th- you know the the torture scene is actually is interesting because that's where I feel like they kind of get a little nervous about what they're doing. Oh, for um, sure. Because they're like, oh no, we're gonna make a like we can't let him just do this. Like we know that he loves to, to-, to torture people. Love just loves torture, something he really enjoys. Um. And when it comes time for him to torture someone that we like, we're gonna make him hesitate. And it just feels like they kind of like pulled up a little bit the last second, but, um, so they didn't com- make it completely amoral slash immoral character, right. which is an interesting. Like it's really fun to have just an amoral wild card. This guy is here oh, sure. just for himself, and they they have. Sort of the less sinister, more fun version of that in Quark.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Where, you know, Quark is like, all I care about is profit. I'm willing to screw, screw over everybody. But you know that Quark's got like a good heart. You know he cares. Like at the end of the day, he's going to do the right thing and blah, blah, blah. He's not going to, you know, that's why we all, we let him sit here and do whatever. But Garrick is like, um, a failed failed surprise attack away from just like torturing Odo and then going back, murdering a bunch of people he doesn't like and taking his place back again at the the head of the SS (laughs) moving forward. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's an interesting character complication and they just didn't quite go through with it. And moving forward... I think that they kind of let go of some of that stuff as seasons progress, especially as I'm thinking towards the the final seasons where he's like pretty, pretty much just working for them.
0: Well, I mean, that is, that's the interesting thing, right? Because I think that what these two episodes are trying to do uh, and trying to set up is that like, you know, a classic thing with storytelling, particularly with the hero's journey is establishing a character's wants and needs and the wants are never what is going to serve the character. Like the needs is what the the character actually uh, is going to be served by and is going to be beneficial to um, and, or is going to benefit from. So if it's like, you know, a character's wants is to gain fame and fortune, but their needs are actually to just like, um, have find self-worth or whatever that kind of thing it's like you're not actually going to find self-worth and fame and fortune you kind of have to do that on your own right so the wants that needs and like they're very clearly establishing garrick's wants as returning to cardassia and to continue doing um you know his ss work but they're wanting to sow the seeds for that not actually being the thing that's going to serve him and that you know what he needs is actually something else um, and in this sense, like what he needs is to be a good guy, right? Like that's kind of what the writers are. The arc that the writers are wanting to take uh, Garrick on is to move him away from being a bad guy and turn him into a good guy, right? And that doing the good thing is going to be the thing that Garrick actually needs and the thing that's going to actually serve him. Um, and so these two episodes, particularly with, um, you know, the, the carrot being dangled in front of Garrick's face, that it's like, yeah, we'll bring you back. We'll bring you back into the fold. But it shows him, it reminds him of what that required, like that what, what is required of him, right? Like this kind of thing he's done over and over and over again, but having three and a half years of separation, he's like, mm, maybe I'm not into it as much as I used to be. Um, and so like these two episodes are an interesting and necessary uh, development point in along the evolution of Garrick as a character and there's a certain aspect where you're you know as you said that they kind of like shy away from him being so evil because you know the writers are clearly not ready to let Garrick go like if we see Ducat doing the interrogation and like really really going in that's fine because we know he's the bad guy like we associate him as the bad guy but we're not fully Ready to associate? Garrick as a bad guy yet, even though yeah. he literally was an SS officer.
1: And I was—I think that maybe like just some of the good guy, bad guy, like white hat, black hat. But I think that with Garrick, they also established that what he needs is a feeling of belonging.
0: Right. Exactly. You know, so
1: like he—he he has this relationship with, um, with Bashir, which you know we'll get into that later. But like he has this relationship with Bashir and Bashir is like yeah I've kind of got other things that I need to be doing and Bashir may not be like as do I enamored with Garrick as he had been a couple years ago and so Garrick's left to just kind of like sit by himself was like no like can't you stay an extra five minutes for lunch because (laughs) I'm gonna just be by myself in a tailor shop for the rest of this you know and we know that he saw Tane as something of a father figure. We get into that more in future episodes, but that's certainly here in this one. Right. And it's like he's, he belongs to this obsidian order to his people to Tane and he's been separated from them and it's like now it's time to go back and he finds out that actually maybe he belongs more with the people on the stations than he did. And so, you know, maybe he actually owes something to Odo more than he owes something to Tane.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. when it's
1: when it's time, when Tane tells him go in on Odo, like, and the implicit, like, the unsaid, like, kill him if you need be. I don't, I don't care. Just like get what you need. And he's in there like pleading with Odo, like, give me something so I can stop this. And it's very clear at that point, like, okay he's made his He sees like where he he actually belongs
0: here right but it's also like in that moment it's like neither of us are getting out of this unless you do something like help but, me if you okay? yeah.
1: like we're yeah. we very much like we very much need to just play the next hand and we can't look too much further than that but if we did look further, it's not great.
0: Not great. No.
1: So just keep it keep us alive right now so we can figure out how to not die later.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's absolutely um fascinating and wonderful what the show does with Garrick um over time. And I and these two as I said, you know, these two episodes are so crucial in that. Um I we've we've said it before, but like no other Star Trek show has a supporting roster like DS9 does. Like I I'm feel very, very confident in saying that. Like you've got the villains between Ducat and uh, Kai Wynn are two of like the best villains that we have in Star Trek. Yep. Eric is a top tier supporting character. Um, Rom is giving so mu- is given so much to do over the course of the series. Nog is given so much to do and has so much development over the course of the series. Um, and you know, there's more beyond that. But like, and of course, every character that Jeffrey Combs plays uh damar has such a big role in later seasons um and particularly in season six and seven like there is just so much good shit here
1: the the female uh changeling as they call her like also also great like does incredible villain in in um in Makeup that doesn't allow your face to move, still able to to give a lot, you know. And
0: she's so menacing too, but like yeah. softly and so sweetly too. Yeah. Even more so than Kai Win, ironically. And even though Yeah.
1: Well, sweaty. I mean, the founders really do have it in the bag, and it's crazy how they fumble it at the end. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll get there <laughs> Speaking of uh things that we'll get to later on, uh one of the other aspects I love about this uh, these two episodes is that there's so much um uh setup. Uh, that we get of future uh, future episodes. Like this is the beginning of war episodes. Um, very explicitly. Um, Ira Stephen Bear took over as executive producer, starting with a second episode, and I'll talk more about that in trivia um and about his vision for ds9 we're really really leading up to the dominion war but you know as the the changeling at the end of the second episode it's like hey klingons and federation we're coming for you next um we're getting a lot of klingon shit in the next couple of seasons um and uh shall we talk about eddington and cisco a little fuck bit eddington fuck Eddington. Motherfucking fuck eddington. The, mo- oh the most gosh. boring-ass
1: fucking dude. Listen... Biggest I don't boot
0: know- who's ever liked boots. Yeah,
1: but, like, even... Yes. So we could talk about the character, but um, I don't know who this actor is. I don't feel like, you know, I feel like whatever his career was or whatever, like, I'm not yeah. affecting that on this unknown podcast. Sure. But, listen, this dude, like, every time... This dude is aggressively boring-looking. Like, I've noticed... The second he oh, walks up on yeah. screen... As like somebody's fucking like middle school dad, just bald and boring faced, and yeah. like like in a like a CPA or something. Like yeah. I'm just like wow, wow, you look aggressively boring and aggressively generic, and just like any fucking three quarter zip fleece wearing, um, you know, like puffy vest wearing, boring ass non-season barbecue. Like, just, what has this dude got going on? Why yeah. why is he on my screen? Why is he taking time away from people that I give a shit about? What the fuck? Why why, why did they introduce Eddington? Like, I'm sure you've got some, you know, some reasons for it. Well, yeah, like, I mean, we why is Eddington before, in their lives now? Why so, is Eddington remain
0: in our lives? So, I mean, like, they brought him in... Uh, in seas at the beginning of season three, because Miles, uh, the actor who plays Miles, Colm, oh, M- right, 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 right. um, wanted to fuck off and film movies, yeah. and so they're like, okay, well, let's have a character to kind of like fill up screen time, I guess. Yeah. But it's like they could have brought in like another engineer, but they didn't want to do that, I guess. They brought in and a they
1: thought that they were yeah. just, re- they thought that they were just replacing one boring white guy with another, and, and mean, they just of- they got and they got him mixed up. One one of these white one of these middle-aged white dudes has fun hair, a fun accent, and is um like has brings the lovable like uh working class, you know, element yeah. to the show. Yeah. Whereas again, this dude um nothing has fucking like like fucking pocket protector ass. Like get this
0: boring ass dude out of here. Just absolutely nothing. But um, I, it's uh, he is just such a little fucking shit. Also um, this, also this. You know
1: <laughs> they also made him as unlikable as humanly possible.
0: Which is a fascinating narrative choice. Um, yeah. uh, he got he- to set. He got to set,
1: and they're like, uh, first off, fire the casting director, and then secondly, <laughs> what the fuck are we supposed to do with this guy? They're then they're like how can we make him interesting what if we just painted his guts that's a way to make him interesting okay
0: yeah and that's the uh, that's the choice they went with uh, but in like okay so we have we've seen him like what once or twice before um, where he was like threatening Odo's uh, insecurity about his job position which <laughs> yeah, you know, well fuck off yeah. um, Odo, ah, fuck off
1: yeah well, I'll let, <laughs> let them hold on let them fight yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> True, Fred, Fred, <laughs> let them cook. Um, and then in this episode, he sabotages the ship. It's like, did, have you not read a character profile on the Benjamin Cisco? Do you really think that a broken uh, uh, cloaking device is going to stop Cisco? Like, you really thought that he's just going to be like, oh, well, can't go. In. Yeah, I guess we're going to have to turn around. It's like, who the fuck do you think you're fucking with?
1: is it is it more likely that a Cisco gives up and turns around or B you find yourself in the cold of space?
0: uh it's it's I know which one of those uh, like the <laughs> answers it is
1: and it is not the first one. I'm telling uh, you you are much more likely to be beamed like a hundred feet off
0: the starboard balance truly <laughs> truly gambling with your life. My opposing
1: <laughs> which system, which is, but see, this is the thing. He thinks he's being brave, right? And he, like, and he and he does this sta- and he and he thinks he's being stand up. It it's it wasn't this. It was sabotage. How do you know? Because I, I. sabotaged it. <laughs> I did because it. I now. was the one who
0: sabotaged.
1: I was following orders, and I did so honorably and honorably. Now I will still stand as you need a chief security officer. But like man if you don't get
0: your bitch ass face out, out of here like go home there's a lot of I was just following orders in these two episodes <laughs> well I mean I think that
1: they I think that that's intentional is that you have you have two intelligence officers who are just following orders yes. and um, you know and it gets to like we tra- transition into it's military time
0: yeah let's talk about it
1: It gets into some of the the military tropes of um, you can't trust the bureaucrats, you can only trust the troops. You know, like, we need to listen to the troops. And this is where Star Trek Deep Space Nine turns from being um, the counterpoint to the utopian um next Generation and the counterpoint to or the the the, the complication of the Imperial um you know Star Fleet and all that Federation and whatnot into just um like war propaganda military propaganda um they have a scene where you know Cisco's like Hey, I got I got to get my man. No man left behind. Like, just we're we're immediately into a hundred tropes. No man left behind. My officers out there. I'm willing to sacrifice all of my officers. For one. The <laughs> one the one ship standing between the wormhole and the whole Alpha quadrant, and go in there to try to rescue, um, one one guy. And they're like, um, actually, that's not what we want you to do. That doesn't make that doesn't actually make sense. It's like, well, you can try to philosophize, we're the troops, we know what to do. And so then you go into the all right, people, before you say before you accept this mission, know that it comes with great risk. Which, okay, now that means that these guys are extra good guys if they're willing to take risk. And it could come at the expense of your careers, they don't care about badges. They don't care about ranks. They only care about rights. So you know, report at oh blah blah blah. If you're if you're coming, and then you come onto the ship, and it's like, is anyone going to be there? Everyone's there. The whole ship's a buzz, and the cameras sh- all of a sudden sweeping. Always the sweep. camera movements different. Like it's sweeping through. There's people at stations. They're talking in like official military. Style technical stuff where blah 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 buttons are beeping where it's just like a real like swell the swell of the camera the swell of the music it's just like they might as well have had an erect american flag pop up it just like it was so there and it's like okay we're gonna go disregard these orders and save the day and sure as shit they save the day they rescue the guy they come back the and the politician bureaucrats like you know what you're right ben if you do that again, I'm going to court most for you or promote you. Ha-ha! Keep going at it, buddy. Salute, <laughs> salute the troops. <laughs> yeah. Like, and um, listen, when I say that this is only the beginning, this is only the beginning. Okay, We're so
0: there is deep yeah there's an upcoming episode where like the internal comms on uh on the defiant oh my god yes and so it's like real submarine warfare shit where it's like you have to relay instructions from one person who relays it to the next person who relays it to the next person and so on and so forth and then it comes back the same in the same pattern um and like is that military propaganda? Yes. Is that also kind of amazing and wonderful? And no. no it's, also, yes.
1: Part. So they do the thing that's like, there's been a million, like the the scene that I described has been in a million episodes yeah, of, of television, a million yeah. movies, million whatever. It's like such a trope. But it works out, like it's going to, like, we're like, we're, if we do this right, it's going to give people the chills every time. Yeah. Like, it's like, this it's, is it's easy the, money. It's, it's, the quote from, it's the quote from
0: "It's the quote from Legally Blonde." Bend and snap works every time. Yeah. Uh, you do this propaganda shit works every fucking time.
1: Listen, like war movies, there's like interesting philosophical questions about if any war movie could be anti-war. You know, so a lot of movies purpo- purport themselves to be anti-war, but there's and I'm forgetting the names. We can get it. We'll we'll have plenty of time to get into it, but. Plus, was talk about how sh- just showing the war like is glorifying war. Because yeah. you can't you can't show it without it being like, look at these honorable lads fighting hard for each other. And be- the war, the war may be like over bullshit, but these men aren't bullshit. These men are heroes and blah blah blah. And like however you do it, it's gonna be doing that. So like we're we're headed deep into the backbone of American filmmaking is probably the war movie and the western. Like, yeah, those are the two foundational pieces of of American filmmaking, and they're like they're both just hardcore propaganda. Like the military, like we you know we've talked before, like they they actually like they the Department of Defense is, has been involved in the movie industry forever. Ronald For Reagan, nearly hundred years. Ronald Reagan when he was in the military it was as a propaganda officer like he was like his military duty was to like make these movies and go around the country and show these movies and be like support the troops and yeah. it's something that like that reaches. where we've all been raised on these things like one way or another and it's something that just like connects into your brain without you having to like actively think about it and and I don't know, like, I'm sure you've got some quotes for me on was it Iris Steven Bear that did this? Like I'm sure like if he's got a plan for to to help along this fledgling fledgling franchise, Star Trek franchise that he's got, which I don't think was like knocking the doors off of anything at this point rating wise, they're like, you know how we're gonna get through. It's gonna be just like dropping that ace of spades out.
0: Yeah, of spades. Sorry, I don't know why that was like why did you I, what is that? Did it Guns and Roses a, totally Spades song? I think so. It's <laughs> my brain. I am so sorry. So sorry to everyone listening. You know, if you want to like just stop listening to the podcast, that's fine. I understand. Um, no, I mean I I I did a whole um section last semester in my English comp class, uh, because that's the kind of professor that I am um on military propaganda and yeah i mean the uh uh the as you said the department of defense has been intimately uh connected with hollywood for 100 years uh literally 100 mm-hmm. years and we don't really I, there's not really a way out of it i don't think because both entities benefit from each other and if there's an opportunity to make money and to uh keep up uh perceptions on the military neither one is gonna like back out of that like no one's gonna be like yeah i'm gonna stop earning money you know um so we're kind of stuck with it which really really fucking sucks and is really really depressing um that being said is there a lot of really, really cool war stuff and military shit in Star Trek? Yes, there absolutely is. I think that that is one of those things of, like, um, you know, I don't think that... I personally don't think that it's antithetical to be like anti-military and anti-war and also to be a fan of Star Trek. Like, I don't... like I think that both of those things can still be the case because even though... um, uh there is, you know, like Starfleet is a military is the military arm of the Federation. Like there's just no way around it. Um are they an exploratory force? Technically yes, but also they're an exploratory force that are some of the most heavily weapon, you know, weaponized warships in the galaxy, right? right. Um like they've rarely found a threat that they couldn't defeat. Um, like and give it a couple episodes, they'll so eventually defeat them, right? right. Yeah. So Starfleet is is just a military force, and so it's kind of hard to like pretend like, um uh that's not there. And we do talk about it for sure. you know, we've talked about it before. And I think that the uh the show itself also is talk you know talks about it and wrestles with it as well um and so that's one of the things that you and i both love about the show is that it does um it does challenge it you know it does challenge the concept of the military it does challenge the concept of the effects of war blah 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 i think that there is a certain extent where it's really really hard to get a show on the air that doesn't have some form of military nationalist copaganda like all of those propagandas are kind of like a given in pretty much any show, right? Yeah. Um, and it's really, really hard to make any art that is anti-capitalist and that is anti-you know, all these different institutions and somehow get it on the air and make money. Because those shows just typically do not make money. Typically, yeah. uh yeah.
1: no, I, I'm not saying um I'm not saying that you have like the the Media or art that you consume has to like align with your politics. I think oh, it's, it's I, a very, yeah, I don't think that anymore. it's a it's a very like immature and uh, ultimately like useless like position to, to take. Like For it's sure. not gonna it's not gonna work like that. I don't have any expectations that it works like that. Um, this was just like it's a blatant thing and just like pointed it out. You know. Like, oh yeah, this is, this is what's what's happening right now, in um, being aware it doesn't it doesn't mean that like like I want to see phasers go off and ships in battle like, of course <laughs> you know, I just really? I just uh, I understand that that comes from something that was like put into me as well you know like I grew up on that
0: so speaking of what's put into us um shall we talk about our favorite scenes and kind of get into some of the other stuff yeah on the on the list um so speaking of stuff that gets put into us uh my favorite scene was the interrogation scene Um oh yeah ideal uh but I think that like what Andrew Robinson and Renee Abbot are doing in in that episode is great like they're both just knocking it out of the park Uh, I'm really annoyed that I said it like that you know like they're just doing a really really great job acting I'll rephrase it that way Uh, I think that the writing in that in that scene was really really good I think
1: baseball huh?
0: I I mean I just you know I'm not like this isn't you know I'm not a sports person Uh, I just happen to play FIFA on my Xbox all the fucking time you don't have
1: to be a sports person to, to say knock it out of the park like True. we all we all use phrases that, that don't <laughs> necessarily true. involve us
0: anyways um i really enjoyed that that scene cuz i think that um uh, there are a few scenes between odo and garrick that i was noticing in my comments that it's less so about subtext and more about just straight up text like we don't have a lot of dancing around what we're wanting to achieve we are just being very very direct about it and um garrick is very much about subterfuge very much about subtext very much about innuendo all the time and odo is typically very very straightforward and just direct right but um there's several scenes and one of them was on the uh on the runabout but i found that there's a couple of other scenes were less about subtext and more about uh the text and more about the truth in the text, um, and then what lie exists in the text as well. And so the times where they're actually being truthful with each other is so compelling. And you know, and hearing that Odo really does want to return home, and that though those two as characters are bonding over the fact that they do want to return to their homes. But realizing that they probably never will, um, for different reasons, of course. Um, but for them to have that shared connection while Garrick is torturing Odo was just really, really uh, fascinating and really, really well done too. Because you know, if if a show or a movie or whatever takes a character and pushes them too far into into an area where we as the viewer are like, no, I can't fuck with this character anymore, then you lose that character for good, right? But like they are they really had to straddle the line of how far can we take this character and still have the viewer be engaged with that character? And I thought they did a good job. Um yeah, what about you? What was your favorite scene?
1: My favorite scene was two scenes. Um, but they're the same scene. It was the first scene of each episode. Which were the couples' quarrels? First was Bashir and Garrick. Second was Bashir and Miles. And this is where my take is: is that in these episodes is when the Miles Bashir um, relationship really blossoms and and takes over number one, the number one spot from Bashir and Garrick. So the first one, like Bashir and Garrick, they're like arguing about. Shakespeare and the merits of, you know, Shakespearean plays and whatnot. They're arguing about how much time they're spending together. You know, Bashir's like, eating quickly and ready to get on to the next thing. And Garrick's still like, oh, but wait, you know, like, why can't we hang out some more? Just some you know, tough look by Garrick. And tough look by Garrick also that like, Bashir's starting to be like, eh, but what really happened was once Garrick leaves, and Bashir's stuck without a lunch partner. Mm-hmm. Then there's Miles looking across from him, and Bashir's going on about whatever bullshit, and Miles is just blankly looking at his food and eating and like not saying anything. Like, uh, what's going on? Like, just a real like, just a real man in that yeah. moment, you know, just like. I don't know, I don't care. Just you know, drink it. Let's, let's go get a beer and play some darts or whatever. Like real, just like the man stuff. And and at that moment, Bashir's stuck where like once once Garrick proved himself to be un, untrustworthy or undependable, I'll say. Garrick leaves, puts himself in danger. This guy could die at any time. I can't emotionally Put everything onto this person because even though they're intelligent and they're interesting and all of this they're also volatile and undependable so instead I'm looking over here and maybe this guy's more simple I know that Bashir thinks that he's better than Miles yes but he's dependable he's a rock you know he's just sitting here he's always going to be here he's always going to be my guy and he decides at this moment, you know, uh, Bashir just had a birthday, right? You know, in your 20s, you could be chasing the fun, exciting thing. You know, Bashir's in his 30s. He has to think more sensibly now. Uh-huh. So he's he's settling in with the dependable option. You know, maybe, uh, maybe O'Brien doesn't have the fattest ass and the tightest body. But you know he's going to be there every, every day you come home. He's going to be there with a beer in hand and and ready yeah. to hang out. You know, yeah. and at some point in life, maybe that's that's what you need more. Maybe, you have, and you know you've got your Dabo girls on the side. You could make some. You still can satisfy those needs. You know, but you need to have you need to have a trustworthy man at home, and that's what Bashir chose.
0: No, I I think you're right. Um, I think that also Miles is like that that scene where Miles is just absolutely not listening to Bashir, what Bashir is saying, like, that tells me that that's exactly what he does with Keiko as well. And so he is treating both of these two people as the same person, like, in terms of, like, the same level of, I know we're together, but I'm just not interested in whatever the fuck you're saying right now. Like, let me just eat my fucking food, and then we can do whatever couple stuff we have to do. Like, Miles is, like, yeah, yeah, we're in a relationship right
1: now. Miles is the man where the partner looks over and it's like, "What are you thinking about?" And Miles is just like, No, what?" <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like, you know the like those memes of like, you know, the woman like, you know, what are you thinking?" Like, "What are you thinking about?" When well, they're in bed What's and they thinking about, yeah. And, and, and what he's thinking about is you know whatever like video game or like some whatever dumb thing. And that's that's one hundred percent Miles. Miles is just like. 100%. I was just thinking about how like different nuts and bolts can come together like oh these relays whatever or he's thinking about his dartboard or he's thinking about like the beer that's the all sent the ale that he's gonna have later but he's gonna be there for you
0: no thoughts just vibes and that's miles when he's eating just no thoughts just vibes <laughs> uh, <laughs> which uh which character had a good set of episodes uh for you and uh, between improbable cause and the dies cast?
1: um I had uh, we had a good manager a good manager Cisco moment.
0: We love good manager Cisco,
1: and I like when good manager Cisco is around. It's been a while since we've mentioned him. um but you know, it's I love a manager who's not going to sit there and micromanage you. Nothing, oh, yeah, nothing worse than being micromanaged. Someone's up in your grill at all times. O'Brien's like, It's going to take it, it's going to take a while to get this thing fixed. He's like, How much time? And he's like, You got less time than that. Go, go get it. And now Cisco understands that his job isn't to badger Miles, but to protect Miles from
0: badgering. Yeah, Kira was trying to get all up in there. He's like, No, those
1: things, where are you going? Where are you going right now? You going to Bother Miles? I nope. can see in your eye. You want to go bother Miles, don't you? Why? let nope. Miles work. Nope. Let Miles work. Let him do
0: his thing. He's gonna be fine. Yeah. We'll be
1: yeah, yeah. absolutely. Good. Agree. Good manager, Cisco.
0: Um I I had Bashir down as having a good episode. Um really? he's got- Yeah, he's got his two boyfriends. Um what? he's all he- scared, one's gone. <laughs> right. Maybe never but, to return. But he came back, but he came back, which is okay. the important thing is that he, he came, came back, back. And, then, and then
1: got a new boyfriend. Well, Inoto.
0: Yes. But as we've established, there is a polycool on the station. So <laughs> Bashir is open to you know his partners having other partners as well. Um, no, I, there's, there's a scene where, uh, when Bashir is saying goodbye to Garrick at the entrance of the runabout, the look in Bashir's eyes was just like, it was just like, oh, I'm sending my man off to war and I hope he comes back. Like, it was just, I don't know, just, I, I know that the actors have, have said explicitly following the the course of the series that they're like, yeah, we were playing a gay more so garrick more so Henry robinson was but like alexander siddick definitely was playing that scene it, that wasn't his friend going away that was his boyfriend that was going away like and i just uh i i love it that's all i'm saying i just love it uh you know uh very happy for bashir and his boyfriend so that's all i'm saying
1: his torture boyfriend came back with a fascist cop boyfriend i'm just saying you You know know, i i see it you know and and, uh and bashir relegated himself to a boring
0: partner for the for the rest of his life we've all (laughs) made relationship mistakes uh i am certainly not going to cast the first stone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) listen i'm not casting stones i'm just i'm just looking at your you know good episode and be like huh
0: yeah all right anyways um i had eddington as wanting a redo um you know uh, I'll just say this if you have not if you're listening to our podcast and if you're not and you haven't watched ahead. Um, but Cisco saying I make it a rule to always trust the word of someone who is wearing that uniform uh referring to Eddington just just keep that in mind for future episodes. Um, and Cisco and Eddington's relationship to the uniform. Um, and we'll just we'll just see where that goes. That's all I'm saying. Oh. we will just see where that goes. Um, Matthew, who would like a redo? Uh, Tane, absolutely. Tane,
1: Tane would like a redo. So Tane, Tane's coming up, a little bloated, you know, feeling feeling real good about himself. Yeah. Then, then he gets fried by his former protege. You know, a little bit. Uh, you know, Garrick being a sassy bitch, talking about how he's let you know his his trim his trim body go a little bit then he's like, you know, having to work with his Romulans, doing whatever and then everything goes to shit and it turns, and everybody gets blown up and it turns out that he's been played this whole fucking time he thought he was hot shit but he was out here um, getting played, it was light work by the founders yep. they sent they sent one, one dude out there to be like hey, let me set everything in motion to blow up both of your intelligence services and cripple your fleets tain tain with the biggest l
0: entirely i mean it is pretty wild what the founders are able to do with just one fucking operative you know um and knowing like how many operatives they sent out into across the universe like i mean uh, you know i uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I brought this up when we were talking about Picard season three, but like there is an opportunity to be like, yeah, this one changing has just been around for a long ass time and is fucking shut up. Um, since they were wanting to bring back changing since season three. But that being said, like if Star Trek wanted to continue stories post DS nine and not just with lower decks and not just with prodigy, but like something live action, There's so much opportunity to be like, there are there are still founders out there. Like they they are, you know. And like, anyways, I'll say this: I actually don't like those storylines.
1: It all like if 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 it's just gonna, well, everybody goes to the fucking like, um, you know, every changeling story is like a nine post nine eleven anybody could be a terrorist thing uh, true. Um, and it's all about like added surveillance and this and that and then i think the like just from a writing perspective it gets kind of like aha this person was a changeling all along you know like like okay i
0: don't mm-hmm. i don't necessarily want it to be that where it's like this person was a changeling all along like it doesn't need to be something like someone that we know it's more just what was you know, what was happening behind I I know what you mean though, but anyways. Um I'm I'm just saying DS9 set up a lot of good stuff that if Star Trek wanted to continue, they could, but they just don't want to do that. Uh oh well. I'm I'm happy for
1: all the DS9 stuff to just live in DS9. And I'd love for them to, to make something
0: new. I am too. Uh, let's talk about some uh, straight thoughts. Uh, Matthew, you
1: had some thoughts about the Admiral. Oh, yeah. Um, that Admiral, how many pips did that Admiral have? That admiral, that Admiral's neck looks like a spider, spider's eyeballs. Like, All what the, the fuck pips? is happening? Yeah, like, he's got pips running this way, pips running that way. In the past, it's been like, once you have the Admiral, it's like the four pips size, but it's just a solid piece. Sure, like one solid piece or whatever, but this motherfucker just got pips all over, just like all around his neck,
0: up the wazoo. Um, okay, so let's see. It looks like he has three pips on either side. Okay, so It looks like four pips on either sides. Uh, it's not. It's three. I'm looking at a photo right now.
1: <laughs> all right, well, God damn.
0: Um, let me see if I can quickly find. But it does
1: look like spider eyes
0: it does it does look like spider eyes thank you um uh fuck there is not a quick and easy way to find i don't i don't need an actual admiral. answer you know okay well i, I just, now okay but you put that into my head though that's the problem okay, okay. so a rear admiral two pips so, okay so the thing with the with the pips right i mean you huge mistake. you you, you, you need me for the rest
1: huh do you need me for the rest of this okay it's calm down
0: so the way that the pips go is that if you're just like instant through captain, right? You just have the little pips, just like free floating pips. When you get to Admiral, those have a border around, right? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a Lego little block. Little trim. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Lego brick. Rear Admiral, you get two pips. Vice Admiral is three, which this guy is a vice Admiral. Admiral. Just regular Admiral is four pips. And then a Fleet Admiral is five pips, which is just a lot of fucking pips. So As what's
1: long. this dude doing with six?
0: Okay, so he has three on each side. It is very common for the Admirals to have the pips on both sides of the collar. Um, So if you are a Vice Mad- vice Admiral and you have three Do pips... Do they
1: not have any Lego bricks sitting around?
0: Do they have, not have what?
1: Any Lego bricks sitting around? Like, why does this dude have Lego bricks?
0: It's he does have chunky, uh, chunky pips. I'm not gonna lie, um, but yeah, but that's 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 what he is. That explains that.
1: Is all I'm sure oh, it to does. Mean. No, it really does. I'm, yeah,
0: yeah, I'm yeah. I, I'm. I can. I can tell that you're very, very, uh, grateful, uh, for the information that I provided about you know. this man. I have to say on the topic of pips and uh official star trek minutia, um admiral todman is the first 24th century era admiral to wear the operation gold colors normally we see admirals wearing red which is command red um and very rarely even do we see someone who has the rank the rank of commander that is in gold. Like most commanders we see in red, like think of Commander Riker, uh, even Chakotay, or uh, blue, like Deanna Troy and uh, Beverly Crusher. Speaking of Beverly Crusher, in Picard season three, she is an admiral and she is wearing a blue science medical uniform. How about that, Matthew? Isn't that exciting? Are you still there? Are you there? Are you alive? Are you alive? Do I need to send someone over to your house? Are you okay? I'm not okay. (laughs) I listen. I I know that I'm not the only one that loves the minutia, um, and uh, I think it's just very very fascinating uh, when we get admirals in wearing other color uniforms. That's all I'm saying. Do you have that's great. Okay, cool. Um, additional straight thoughts. Um, I definitely love that Garrick thinks that Shakespeare is a hack. I just think that's really, really funny. Um, O'Brien felt like an expendable character in this episode, like he didn't really do much. Um, and like he was used to like ask an obvious question to Odo for Odo to give like a quippy response or whatever. Um, apart from O'Brien fixing the Uh, cloaking device, which obviously is very, very crucial, the most that he does is return to his post as a transporter chief. O'Brien in the transporter rooms. We love to see it. Um, What were your thoughts about uh, when Garrick is asked who would want to kill him? Um, You had some thoughts about that. Say that again, I'm sorry. When Garrick was asked by Odo, who would want to kill you? Oh, yeah. So... Garrick's like, you know, still being all sassy.
1: <laughs> z and everywhere. You know. Um Garrick's like, oh, I don't know. Uh this one person who, who uh I lost his like wedding suit on his wedding day. And I'm like, that's not a that's not a laughing matter. Like that's not super serious. Thing. Like not a small someone idea. someone l- legitimately might murder you for that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that people have murdered for less.
1: People absolutely have murder for less.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I could tell you like that that's a stressful day. People are stressed out and someone might stab.
0: Yeah. Uh, um,
1: so- I, that hap- that actually did happen though. Um my an in-laws wedding it was in the UK. Mm. I float into London, was like ready to head over to this wedding in this town outside of London. And the, the person who, like, did the wedding dress and suit or whatever was like, the wedding dress was like, oh, yeah, um I needed to make this additional alteration or this additional thing. I need to keep holding it. And so they held it, like, still to like, the day before the wedding. And then they're like, oh, yeah, um I'm actually not going to be around. I can't give it to you. So someone could pick it up, not at the shop that we were at, but, like, this random place, like, all across town. And so I was running around London trying to like figure out how to pick up this dead drop of a wedding dress and then get over it. I ended up getting the, my cab paid for, so it worked out for me. Nice. But I will say people were stressed. And if if they had run into Garrick, they might have blown up the shop.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um yeah, it's it's not you don't fuck with people's weddings.
1: no you do not
0: um speaking of clothing um shout out to taines cardigan um i i love that they just had him like in like a hypothetically in a kindly older elderly man cardigan um meanwhile he's just committing war crimes i just think that was kind of funny
1: listen one of the reasons why moving to ireland would be great is this just the sweater game is crazy over there? Really? Knit sweaters. The most beautiful knit sweaters. And really, like you could probably do the same in Wales. Like they got a lot of sheep in all these places. Yeah. And they they they've been working the sweater
0: game for centuries. Oh, for sure. They know what they're doing. You know, get a get uh, a, sax, a saxon sweater. I I found a scene where Odo is interrogating the freight, like the perfume merchant. It felt like Odo was doing like an impression of a gayer Colombo, like just like huh. s- like pulling out each different fragrance, f- fragrance, fragrance. Um, it just felt like a Colombo scene, but like he was just adding a little extra, extra, oh, extra
1: and sense. one more scene. Yeah, uh, what, what how does I... Sm- I have no sense of smell. Can you smell? What what I... I... Yeah, <laughs>
0: um,
1: I just thought it was funny. Uh, so and it was like, like Odo, oh, no, stop being, stop being some fancy, bitch, just. Figure like why what are we doing here?
0: Right. Stop wasting the um, time. Lastly, we need to pour one out for the runabout USS Mekong. Um, it has been destroyed. Uh we haven't do, had
1: do, 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 do.
0: we haven't had a runabout get blown up uh in a while. So it's you know it's sad to see it go, but uh you know, we'll get a replacement in a couple episodes, so it's fine. Because you always have to have three runabouts. Because uh, too many is too much, I guess.
1: Like, I we should know. play Taps, the sad Taps song, since yeah. it's a military episode,
0: right? Exactly
1: or for the for the bay cons.
0: Um, okay, there is a lot of trivia between these two episodes. I am going to try to pick out.
1: To, what? How about what if you, what if we pick out the interesting ones?
0: Yeah, that's what I am working on. Um, one thing, Wait, that but hold
1: just... on. Do you think that the admiral uniform thing was interesting?
0: I just wanna I just want to get a baseline here for us. Have you met Star Trek fans? <laughs> yes. A lot of us are gonna find that interesting. Don't worry. Okay, so
1: so there's a lot of this though, right? There are dozens of us. Oh, uh, the trivia.
0: Um Do I need do I still need to be here? Girl, calm down. Just just hang out. You might you might I'm gonna start off with a fun one. Um I think that you'll have an opportunity to laugh at me, which is always fun for you. Um so this was the first Star Trek episode of a two-parter with different titles, as I said. The German version had no different names. Both parts were called a single title. Would you like to hear me try to do the German title? Ja. Yeah, exactly. Ja. Uh Der Kahemins That was my attempt at the German the translation is the mysterious garrick uh a very boring set uh, very boring title anyways right. um there was a lot of like back and forth on like figuring out how to um make this episode work uh if you want you can look up the imdb trivia for that or get yourself a copy of the companion uh, which I think is very fascinating. But one of the other things that I had alluded to earlier um, is that this episode was the first with Ira Van as executive producer. One of the major changes he made to the series was in action sequences, specifically space battles, had to be shown on screen more often and not just referred to as The Next Generation done had done. As the episode budget of DS9 shows could now accommodate more extensive battle sequences than TNG could do, Starship's fights became much more commonplace in later seasons, especially during Dominion War episodes. This particular episode marks the first sign of those changes as it features the biggest on-screen battle in Star Trek history up to that point. If you thought this was big, there is a lot more coming your way soon. Uh, it wasn't that big, but, you know, it's okay. um there were a couple lines that I wanted to just say, uh, first of all, Garrick, okay, Garrick had like all the memorable lines in, in these two episodes. um one was like when he first is found after the explosion, he's like, as well as could be expected, but I'm afraid your pants won't be ready tomorrow after all. Love it. Uh, and of course, well, the truth is usually just an excuse for a lack of imagination, uh, which we referred to earlier. So, Um, that is these two sets of episodes. I've said it before. Absolutely love these episodes. I think that they um, allow a great foundation for what is to come. Uh, And if you're listening to our podcast, and this is your first time watching DS9, you are in for a treat, Uh, especially next week. Maybe not necessarily from continuing stor- serialized storytelling, but next week marks the introduction of Cisco's goatee, which will stay with us for the rest of the series. Uh, next week's episode is Explorers. Uh, Cisco builds an ancient Bajoran space vessel uh, from Blueprints, uh, and he uh, and Jake take the, the, the ship on a little trip. Um, it's just great, first of all to have some good bonding time uh, between Jake and Ben. We always love to see it. Uh, And what we also love to see is uh, Ben's goatees because he is nearing peak Cisco powers. Uh, There is still one uh, hair change that is to come later for him to reach peak uh, Cisco powers, but we are so close. We are so, so Mm. soon we will be there. Uh, what are your thoughts on Explorers? Do you have any thoughts? <laughs> Jake looks like a whole ass adult in this episode. Like he's been yeah. this entire season because he's just been like growing six inches within a week or whatever. Like he is he's an adult now. It's crazy.
1: Cisco got a beard and immediately like goes a little crazy. It's like, yeah, let me build a fucking like
0: is this like hit, midlife
1: a kit kit spaceship
0: is this midlife crisis cisco is that what we're in right now
1: S- things are things are getting weird for cisco from this
0: point on he didn't buy a corvette Instead, he's just building his own corvette basically well it's like the
1: people that would buy like when we were growing up like the little kit like like uh for like the cobras you know yeah. remember like the co- the old like i'm gonna build this you know old 60s cobra yeah but it's these little kit cars, like that's that's what this dude's doing right now, or they get into the model, like sa- sailing ships. It's 100% what's happening here.
0: Awesome. Well, next week we will be able to delve into Cisco's uh midlife crisis. Uh, but for now, it is time for us to release Docking Clams and pilot our tough little ship away from Taric Noir. If you like our show, we'd appreciate you giving it a five star review and uh, I'm sorry, a five star rating and a going review. Uh, Anyways, thank you all for listening. We hope you join us next week. But until then, walk with a prophet's child.